This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're back this week after a brief summer hiatus. And before we take another break, we have interviews this week about human rights and immigration from our recent trip to Mexico and a deep discussion about Brazil. What's behind the success of one of the world's new economic leaders? More important questions later, but first, Lydia Bayoud has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The latest in a series of student riots erupted in Chile's capital, Santiago, this week. Police turned water cannons on thousands of students demonstrating for free education and education reform after vandals set three city buses on fire. Santiago's local government has banned the students from protesting, and the Chilean government says it holds student leaders responsible for the violence and burning of the buses, which left 75 citizens and 49 policemen injured. Harold Bayer, the Minister of Education, said the violence from the latest protest does not represent Chilean society. The violence we have seen today does not represent students in Chile, does not represent their families, and does not represent what the country wants for education. Chile has some of the world's highest tuition rates, and students, teachers, and families have been protesting for more than a year without resolution. Analysts say the continued protests have sent President Sebastián Piñera's approval rating plummeting as the country focuses more attention on the country's social and academic inequalities. The Brazilian Senate has approved a bill that supporters say will introduce greater racial and social equality in Brazil's most prestigious federal schools. The American-style affirmative action quotas will set aside half the places in federal universities for students from state schools. Private school students in Brazil are typically better educated and prepared for the entry exams into elite schools than public school students. The reserved places will be allocated among Afro-Brazilian, mixed-race, and indigenous students, according to the demographics of each state. Critics say the racial quotas are unnecessary in a country with such a high number of mixed-race population. One senator said the federal universities should only accept the brightest students, regardless of class or race, in order to maintain their status as centers of excellence. The racial quotas will end after 10 years. President Dilma Rousseff is expected to sign the bill into law. Brazil's Supreme Court began hearings on a corruption scandal linked to former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, which could tarnish Lula's popular reputation. The Mensalao scandal occurred seven years ago and implicated Lula's government in an alleged scheme using public funds to bribe members of Congress in exchange for their support. The Brazilian media say the trial may bring up details that could contradict Lula's claims that he was unaware of the alleged payments. The trial began with controversy when the judge linked to the alleged mastermind of the bribe scheme refused to recuse himself from hearing the case. As many as 38 former officials and associates of Lula's Workers' Party, including several of his former senior aides, could go to jail if convicted. The ruling Workers' Party denies all allegations of wrongdoing. The trial is expected to last for about a month. Authorities in Colombia arrested one of the country's most powerful and notorious drug lords this week. Police detained Erickson Vargas, better known as Sebastián, at his ranch. Sebastián is the head of the crime organization called the Office of Invigado, which was established by Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar. Colombia's defense minister says the organization is responsible for more deaths than any other criminal organization in Colombia over the past 10 years. 
the minister called Sebastian's arrest the hardest blow against Colombia's criminal organizations this year. Sebastian is expected to be extradited to the United States to face trial. Violence from Mexico's cartel turf wars in northern Mexico, as police found the bodies of 14 men stuffed into a sports utility vehicle. The car was abandoned near a gas station in San Luis Potosi state. Authorities say the evidence indicates they were shot to death in a drug-related killing. In Sinaloa, state prosecutors report that gunmen with AK-47 assault rifles shot and killed seven men drinking in a soccer field. Police say they suspect the shooting was also drug-related. The Zetas gang and the Sinaloa cartel have battled for control in both states. And in Venezuela, crowds paraded Olympian Ruben Limardo through Caracas on Monday when he brought home a gold medal in fencing. Limardo's medal is Venezuela's first gold medal in 44 years. Brazil, Colombia, Cuba, and Mexico are also currently in the top 30 countries receiving bronze, silver, or gold medals. For Latin Pulse, I'm Lydia Bayoud. Thanks, Lydia. Our first conversation this week delves into the dangers of immigration and how the drug war and human rights are part of the immigration story. We spoke with Sonia Wolf of the civil society organization called INCIDA, the Institute for Security and Democracy, during this program's recent trip to Mexico City. Just to note that our pre-recorded conversation deals with sensitive topics such as rape and the violent details of the drug war. Mexico um, has long been um, a country of, of uh, origin, transit um, for uh, migrants. Um, we know that many uh, Mexicans are leaving their own country um, in order to, uh, to start a, a new life in, in the United States. Um, many are leaving this country in, in search of better um, economic opportunities and we also find that something very similar applies to um, individuals from, from other parts of this region, especially in Central America. Um, many migrants that um, transit Mexico are from Central America, especially what is known as the Northern Triangle, Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras. And um, migrants have been um, passing through Mexico for, um, for a long time. Um, obviously, when Central America suffered from, uh, from wars and repression, uh, many people sought shelter in, in Mexico, fleeing from political violence. Nowadays, we find that people um, leave their country of origin because of uh, continued violence and crime, but also um, to find better um, job opportunities in the United States in, uh, in, in several instances, also uh, in search of family reunification. So what we see is that um, men, but also increasingly women and um, children, young people um, come from the from the south of the of the Western Hemisphere to Mexico to go to, to the United States. Um, because many of these um, of these migrants um, have few resources, they're required to, to travel by different means through Mexico. Um, and this means that um, many of the of the migrants um, when they start their journey in Mexico take what is what is known as La Bestia. Um, it's a, um, not a passenger train, but it's um, their way of, um, of transiting what is a, a, long, um, a long path um, through Mexico. They're riding on top of the train. Yes. They're not really buying tickets. It is, yes. Um, so it's, a, it's very much a clandestine journey, also a very dangerous one. And this makes um, migrants vulnerable to all sorts of um, abuses. Um, 
It is, um, as I said, a, a dangerous journey. Many migrants um, fall off the train, um, um, lose legs or arms um, along the way. Um, but also they suffer um, abuses um, a lot of the time, unfortunately, at the, at the hands of um, state agents. Um, a lot of the time this is police we're talking about, municipal state police, um, but also um, uh, agents who work for the National Institute of Migration. Um, what we find is um, a variety of, of human rights abuses. Um, migrants are assaulted, um, they are kidnapped, women are, are raped. It is thought that um, six out of ten um, women migrants passing through Mexico are being raped. Uh, many migrants um, are also being um, murdered. Um, but what is a particular problem is migrant kidnappings. And what we saw initially was that um, Central American gang members who had moved into the south of Mexico um, assaulted migrants as they were traveling on the train. But over time, um, organized crime groups realized that this was um, a very profitable business. And so uh, they, especially the Zetas, turned to kidnapping um, migrants. So this is, um, it is very um, widespread now. It's, um, it's thought that this is part of the, um, the experience of undocumented migrants um, traveling through Mexico. So it is, um, it is the responsibility of the Mexican state to ensure the, the physical integrity of everyone um, in its territory. This applies for Mexicans, um, but also um, for, for any foreigner in this, um, in this country. Because migrants are undocumented, um, they have no legal status here, it makes them vulnerable not only to the abuses, but they also find it um, very difficult to, to report the abuses to the authorities and, um, and, and obtain justice for what has been done to them. So it's very important to, um, for us to see where, where the problems are we're focusing on the National Institute of Migration. Uh, we would like to identify the, the problems, the practices that, con that contribute to human rights violations and ultimately um, to improve the treatment of undocumented migrants in Mexico and to reduce the, the, the amount of human rights violations committed in this country. There are two areas there that you talked about. You talked about the cartels, the Zetas, and maybe other cartels, and you talked about the state. So let me deal first with the cartels in that this has become a business trying to round up large groups of migrants and then having them call home, basically trying to extort money from their friends, relatives to survive. And, and we've seen these mass graves in northern Mexico as a result of the people who were unsuccessful in trying to raise this kind of money. What can be done, if anything, to, to really stop the cartels who are oh so powerful right now in Mexico? I, I'm not sure it can be stopped, um, but uh, we think it, it's important um, to document um, what is happening and to, uh, to determine to what extent um, the institutions, state institutions in, in their very design, also in the, in the practices of um, agents and officials working for these institutions um, contribute um, to these practices. As you said correctly, um, Organized crime is very much involved in this, and many of the abuses, especially the, the kidnappings, are, of course, committed um, by members of organized crime groups. But it is important um, to recognize that this can happen um, many times because of the collusion between criminals and agents of the state. At, at one point, 
the Mexican state did have special police that were designed to actually help migrants in, in their journey across Mexico. Has that gone by the wayside? Um, what other things have the Mexican state failed to do in this particular process? There has been enormous pressure on the Mexican state. Um, um, many of the, the listeners will have heard of um, a massacre that occurred in San Fernando, Tamaulipas in 2010, when 72 uh, migrants were literally um, massacred. Um, that was um, um, a key event. Um, and the, the Mexican state has um, responded um, with certain measures to, to a lot of the, of the pressure that has um, arisen. Uh, for example, um, as a result of the, the Tamaulipas massacre. Um, so what we see that, um, I think what the, what the Mexican state has done can be described as, um, as cosmetic measures. This is not to say that, um, that they should be dismissed, that they're um, um, unimportant, um, but much, much more is needed. So, for example, um, the Mexican state has wanted to introduce uh, humanitarian visas um, in order to, to increase the protection of undocumented migrants traveling through Mexico. Um, a new migration law was adept, adopted. Mexico had never had um, a migration law, but this was um, the outcome of the, of the pressure that was building up in the aftermath of the Tamaulipas massacre. What we see with the with the migration law, for example, is that that it um, it requires um, um, what what is called a, a reglamento, which is um, um, uh, let, let's call it a, a, another law or regulation in, in order to operationalize the, the migration law. So the the actual adoption of the migration law was portrayed as a um, as a significant achievement um, um, when we talk about. Uh, the protection of human rights of migrants, and it is of course important to have it. Um, but the um, the law has been criticized, and of course the, the reglamento is missing. So the migration law isn't actually um, um, in effect. Uh, yeah, it's not in effect. What is the prospect going forward of dealing with the institutional revolutionary party, the PRI, in in this sort of investigation and and work to help? Migrants. At this point, I think it's um, it's too early to say. What we saw in the campaigns is that um, undocumented um, migrants were not a big issue. There was some talk um, about Mexican migrants in the United States. This is um, very important um, for for the Mexican authorities, but also for Mexican society. Um, but Central American migrants um, in Mexico are not. Um, given the importance that they should receive. So there was little talk about the issue in the campaign, um, certainly not from the pre. Um, so this is not, it, it does not bode well for, for more effective um, policies. What may happen is that now that um, a different party will take control of, uh, of the state institutions um, in December, that there is an interest um, to show what um, what um, the PAN, when it was in power, did or did not do. So it, it may open um, um, possibilities for us to, to obtain information, but that remains to be seen. Immigration is uh, actually a big topic in the U.S. political spectrum right now, uh, but yet we also see immigration at, uh, at historic lows in the United States. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, there's this dichotomy of information 
a historic low of immigration, but yet a, a big political concern about immigration in the United States. What, what is your suggestion for for that particular reality? There are still people coming north, but but fewer. Um, that that is true. Um, I think. Um, all the societies and that see many people leave towards the United States um, uh, would benefit um, from um, from people um, working towards change in their in their own countries. Transnational migration is very much an individual solution that people seek because they think um, the situation in their own country will not change. Um, since we're talking about undocumented migration, I think it is it is very difficult for for authorities to actually estimate these flows. Um, it is true that um, figures seem to indicate that the, the the northward flow seems to have decreased a little, but it's also true that the the situation in Mexico and in Central America has not changed. Um, people the economic situation the economic situation yes violence also continues um, it may be possible that um, in the particular case of Mexico depending on the on the policy approach to, to organized crime um, that the new government will take that violence might decrease in Mexico but there does not seem to be um, such a possibility in the case of Central America so I think for the time being these flows will continue um, when you speak to undocumented migrants, what they tell you is that the, the borders are very porous and that there are many ways um, of getting into the country. So uh, as long as migrants want to do this journey, they will be able to do it. Um, the authorities um, would like to show to us that it's possible to, to secure the borders, to close the borders in order to keep um, people out. But in the experience of migrants, this doesn't seem to be the case. Well, Sonia Wolf, thank you very much for joining us today again on Latin Pulse. Sonia Wolf of the Institute for Security and Democracy in Mexico City in CIDE. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. I want to finish school and then go to college to be able to graduate and have the future my parents couldn't have because I know that going to college is the best thing I can do for my future. The words of a parent help to build the future of a child. The Hispanic Scholarship Fund has the information to help your kids go to college. Visit yourwordstoday.org or call 1-877-HSF-8711. Sponsored by the Hispanic Scholarship Fund and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Recently, economist Maria Antoinette de Tedesco Lins of the Institute of International Relations at Universidade de Sao Paulo or the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil, visited our studios. Our discussion was all about the new challenges ahead for Brazil and what some are calling the Brazilian century. Here are excerpts from our conversation. Actually, uh, the result of the good um, performance of Brazilian economics has to be understood looking back 15 years or at least 10 years of uh, stabilization program. Brazil has dealt and has fought uh, a very, very high inflation problem or a chronic inflation uh, situation especially since uh, to, uh, 1994. And uh, um, as inflation is so um, 
mean for the population or has so uh, so much bad impacts on everything, even uh, income distribution. The results of the stabilization were crucial for uh, for uh, strengthen the Brazilian economy. So, who gets the credit for this far-sighted policy from the '90s? Is is that um, before President Lula da Silva's time? Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, it started even before uh, President Fernando Henrique Cardoso uh, government. Actually, it started with him. But what is more important about the stabilization po- uh, program is the fact that uh, for the first time in history, the country had uh, also um, democracy and uh, stability in uh, economic policy decisions. Uh, President Lula has the credit for being able and having had the courage to keep the previous policy. And so uh, I think it's not exaggerated to see to say that the country had built a consensus about the importance of stabilization, the importance of keeping inflation under control. This sounds very much like what the U.S. has tried to do in the past generation, keep inflation under control and worry about other problems that may come up economically. Brazil is now driving the economies of the South, really driving South America. And do you feel it has recovered from the current economic crisis? Yes, absolutely. And because it was uh, stabilized uh, and also um, the public accounts were okay, the country was able, the government was able to uh, push the economy during the crisis. And the country also had an important amount of foreign reserves, which allowed it to uh, deal with the markets, to foreign exchange markets, etc. So uh, the policies uh, put in place by the Brazilian government, Lula's uh, government during the crisis, were uh, very much led by the state uh, and very much also uh, backed by the public banks. Brazil has uh, three very big uh, public banks which increased credit during the crisis. And uh, and also another aspect is that the Brazilian financial system in general was not exposed to the risk during the crisis because the banks are big or very large and they were not, they didn't have uh, much um, uh, much assets or uh, assets abroad. So bringing up the fact of assets abroad, do we see the Brazilians now being involved in trying to deal with the crisis in Europe trying to deal with problems going on in Spain? Are they now being drawn into these abroad crises or not? Yeah, the, uh, it's very interesting because uh, of this good uh, performance of the Brazilian economy allowed the country to speak louder in international fora. And that's an incredible change for Brazil. And self-esteem, Brazilian self-esteem, it's very high because of that. And uh, Brazil doesn't have any debt with the IMF anymore. 
for instance, and it was said that Brazil could give some money to Europe, which is very much ironic. I mean, it's absolutely new in the country's history. When we talk about emerging markets and emerging leaders economically in the world, um, people certainly talk about China, they talk about India, but Brazil is also part of that discussion with those other two countries. Um, what is Brazil's impact then? Yeah, I think uh, uh, actually uh, the political room that Brazil's, uh, the Brazil is having now, it's much uh, important than its uh, actual economy, uh, the actual size of its economy. Because if you look at the data, Brazil is kind of it's uh, between one percent and two percent of the world economy, and also in trade, it's not as uh, big as China. Absolutely not. But uh, but it's it's a country uh, which has a, a very large internal market, and being uh, stabilized and being stable somehow. Uh, allows Brazil to prepare itself uh, for the future or to uh, to play an even larger role in the world economy. Today it's not really the case, but politically the country is trying to, and the, go the different governments, and that's uh, the Workers' Party, Lula's government, and President uh, Dilma Rousseff, the, uh, the present uh, president, they are trying to enhance there during this, let's say, the last 12 years or at least 10 years, we have, uh, the, uh, Brazil took uh, an important amount of people out of the poverty situation and these people are consuming and it's very important to develop and to keep this market and politically it's also very important for the workers party but at the same time uh, Brazilian companies and and in different sectors are complaining because the currency is too strong and so exports are expensive. The point is not to go to the sectors and take off taxes. We have a very complex tax system as you in the US have because um, we have 27 states and we have 27 different tax systems. No federal tax system. We do have uh, federal taxes, but they are uh, living together. A lot of federal taxes and a lot of um, state taxes. And the taxes, for instance, for, let me tell, uh, for liquor, they are completely different from one state to the other. One, our national liquor, which is cachaça, in the state of Minas Gerais, where it it is considered a cultural good because of the tradition, etc. It's very high in alcohol intensity, 40%. It has absolutely no taxes. So it's, it's very difficult. Okay, the cachaça is not an important good for people to eat, etc. But just to give an example, so these different tax, uh, uh, state tax systems and the fact that um, you put one tax on the other. They are not only um, VTA taxes. They are, there are two different uh, VTA taxes, the federal, the state, 
and you have more taxes on the labor costs and uh, the different kinds of taxes. It's very difficult to deal with people working at the companies, to be inside the law. Politically, it's very difficult to deal with this. As we know, the politics of tax policy is difficult in many countries. Yeah. Thank you, Professor Maria Antoinette del Tedesco Linz of the University of Sao Paulo, joining us today on Latin Pulse. Thank you very much. I was very happy to be here. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or on Facebook. Or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. And now a programming note. Latin Pulse won't be online next week. We're taking another summer pause. Join us again in two weeks on August the 24th. Until then, thank you for joining us on Latin Pulse for our entire team. Associate producer Lydia Bayoud and announcer Victor Kilo. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is sponsored by American University's Center for Latin American and Latino Studies. The program is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2012, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>